0: Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey, as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self-hatred For a chance at belief? Hey there, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of the Lovable podcast. Uh, This week, we are covering week seven of Lovable's companion book, and week seven is entitled, You Are Not Your Thoughts, You Are the Observer of Your Thoughts. This week, we're going to talk about one of the most important tools for coping with unpleasant or uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, and how using it might actually be an essential step in reconnecting with your truest, worthiest self. Before we get into that, though, a reminder, um, these are conversations between me and you. We have them on Facebook Live almost every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central Time. You can join them by going to my Facebook page, Dr. Kelly Flanagan, uh, to tune in. Um, But we are taking off next, uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, November 22nd. We're going to take it off. It's the day before Thanksgiving in the United States, and so we're going to uh, focus on other things next week. But we'll be back here uh, on Facebook Live recording uh, on Wednesday, November 29th. Now if you want to keep track of small changes like that, an even more reliable way uh, to stay up to date on the Facebook Live recordings. Is to be subscribed to my email list if you're not already uh, it's my weekly newsletter list uh, you can go to drkellyflanagan.com. it's drkellyflanagan.com, and uh, subscribe in the right sidebar there uh, for my weekly newsletter you'll get reminders about the facebook lives uh, you'll get my every other week blog post for free you'll get links to these podcasts for free you'll get a free sample of my book lovable and uh, you will get a free copy of my short ebook, The Marriage Manifesto, Turning Your World Upside Down. All of that for free. Um, so go there, sign up. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. It's a great community. Um, now, this might be the first time you're hearing about Lovable. That sometimes happens. You stumble across this podcast. If it is, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. It's available in paperback, digital audio, wherever books are sold, and you can pick up a copy. Get an even better sense of what we're doing here with this podcast. I do. I think the podcast can stand on its own, as I mentioned in the introduction, but I think it stands taller and um, and and wiser on the shoulder of love, lovable. So go check out lovable and uh, and then follow along. Um, Anything else? Let's see. I don't think so. Um, So let's get into this week's episode. Uh, This conversation was super helpful to me, and I know it's going to be helpful to you too. Here we go. Hello, Facebook Live. Thanks for joining us to record the eighth episode of the Lovable Podcast in week seven of the year of listening, loving, and living. This week's chapter is entitled, You Are Not Your Thoughts, You Are the Observer of Your Thoughts. So this week represents a sort of transition point in these first months of listening, which are focused on embracing our worthiness before going out into the world to find our places of true belonging. Up until this point, the first six weeks have really focused on some aspect of what I call undoing. Um, So they've included things like uh, breathing, uh, mindful breathing, cultivating rest, removing digital clutter, pausing self-help, letting go of our outward journeys um, that we, we go on to try to become worthy. Uh, and starting to settle into our inward journey, letting go of all of our efforts to be someone who's acceptable to others. Um, and so they've really involved this kind of, um, this sort of interlocking process of beginning to get still and create space. So this week represents a bit of a transition into a new phase of these months of listening. And, and the reason for that is that most of us will discover that once we get still, uh, once we create space in our lives, uh, some sometimes some unpleasant thoughts feelings and experiences arise within us most of the time actually Um, and sometimes we discover that's why we're going on all those frantic busy outward journeys it was to stay distracted from what was going on inside of us Um, but when we do have the courage to create stillness and space and start paying attention to what's going on inside of us and start moving inward we discover there's some unpleasant stuff there and that's where a lot of people stop the inward journey They go, oop, I don't like this, it doesn't feel good, I am turning around and I'm going to start chasing all those things that I was chasing, relationships and accomplishments and so on and so forth. Well, we want to cultivate in ourselves an ability to persist through those early difficult experiences, the difficult thoughts, the difficult feelings. The only way to get to the center of us, where our truest, worthiest self resides, is to go through those unpleasant experiences. Um, So we want to get to the light underneath all of that shadowy stuff. Um, So today we're going to start doing that. We're going to start building in the tools for persisting through those difficult experiences. I will tell you personally that doing this podcast at this point has been invaluable for me. Because one of the things I talk about in Lovable is that as we move through this progression from embracing our worthiness Revealing the true self that we've embraced to people and finding our belonging, and then in the midst of that belonging, getting the encouragement to go out into the world and practice our passions. That's the progression. That eventually, in the midst of practicing those passions, something goes wonky. (laughs) Uh, We start to lose our focus about why we're doing it in the first place. Um, Our ambition takes over rather than our passion, Uh, or uh, we run into a roadblock and we start to question whether or not this is what we should be doing all along. Um, and that's something, and I've alluded to it in different blog posts, but that's something that I've been going through this fall. And, uh, and so uh, in, in Lovable, I talk about how when that happens, we find ourselves sort of right back at the beginning of the cycle, questioning our worthiness all over again, sort of dealing with that voice of shame inside of us all over again. And uh, and that's what I've experienced. So I'm grateful for these practices because I've needed to to re-engage them in order to begin to move through this act one uh, task of embracing my worthiness all over again. Um, And and as predicted, it has been less painful. (laughs) Um, I felt less stuck. I feel like I'm moving through it more quickly. But these practices have um, sort of returned at the right time for me. So I'm grateful for them. Kim writes, So much of what you have invited us into redirects my focus to me, to what is already in me, to my true self within, who accommodated all these years to be who I thought others needed. Yeah, Kim, I think there's... um, I I would imagine most of us will become aware of that to some extent, um, that we have turned ourselves into something other than what we are in order to keep people happy, in order to avoid conflict um, in order to be what certain others expected us to be. And, uh, and so much of this process is, is realizing when we, when we say, I don't even know who I am. It's not that there isn't an I am. It's not that there isn't a self existing within at the center of us. It's just that we've abandoned it and we need to embrace it again. So I'm so glad that that's what's happening for you, Kim. Um, it's what's happening for me all over again this fall. Julie writes, while interviewing, I'm looking for what of my many aspects would be unwelcome at potential jobs. Wow, that's a great point, Julie. Um, and this is a conversation back when we were doing what I called cour- courtyard conversations um, through go-to GoToMeeting um, with small groups of people from, from the blog. We had this conversation a number of times. As you embrace your true self, should you expect to be able to show it at work? <laughs> um... Uh, or should you expect to be able to show it at, at every place in your life, in every setting? And uh, and we probably don't have time to, to revisit all of that conversation, but it's, it's a good question to be asking. I know who I am now. I know I'm good enough. I know it's all right for all those parts of me to show up. But in this setting, would it be wise for me to put them out there? Um, do I want to do that? Do I need to do that in this setting? And does this work setting accommodate that? Is that a way? that I can actually evaluate work settings and social settings is that they can accommodate my true self and maybe that's the best barometer of whether or not this is a good fit for me rather than you know um, pay and hours and all of that stuff which is important too um, but maybe needs to be set right alongside of can this place accommodate who I am Jennifer writes this is starting to work for me exclamation point my Sunday is normally a race last Sunday I still did a lot of the same stuff but felt more peaceful jennifer that's um that that's such an important acknowledgement that this is not about checking out of life right and a lot of us can't do that so i think we hear like "Ooh, find stillness cultivate rest and we think i can't do that my kids are each in three things i'm not going to take them out of this how could i possibly do that but you're getting at this important idea uh that a Uh, an inner condition of rest and stillness can be cultivated even within the context of busy lives. Um, And uh, so invaluable. Thanks for that. I'm glad it's happening for you, exclamation point. Deb W. writes, a huge yes to what you just said. These practices are ways of living, and I'm trying to acknowledge the cycle as it repeats itself. Yeah, I'm I'm not the only one then, Deb W. Um, I'm not the only one who finds themselves sort of back in this task, maybe having gone through it before, but but back in it. Um, and shame, shame will use that against us. You know, shame will say, oh, you know, you haven't gotten anywhere. Um, oh, here you are again. What are you doing wrong? And it's important for us to be able to kind of listen to that voice of shame and say, I'm not doing anything wrong. This is the way it's supposed to go. I put myself out there. I challenged myself. Some things have been hard. Uh, it's totally natural to start to question everything again. Um, but shame, I'm not going to let you be the narrator this time around. Um, you're not going to get to dictate my reactions to this this hardship. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that you're finding that too, Deb. Julie adds to that, thanks for what you shared, Kelly. Good to hear the process isn't once and done. You hit it with the word abandonment. Yeah, I think, um, in fact, it's in two weeks I'm publishing a blog post called how to show up to your life and it tries to in a sort of creative way get at this idea that um uh, our true self isn't non-existent when we think it is it's probably just abandoned forgotten left behind um and we can actually do practical things to embrace it again to invite it along for the right of life um and so that word abandonment to me gets at it gets at it too julie Brenda writes, I just wrote the questions on our family's whiteboard this week. The practice was sort of reflective for me because I had to process this a year or so ago. I do sense that it's time for a refresher. Common theme this week already, refresher. um, That we don't need to come to this year of listening, loving, and living and going, oh my gosh, um, participating in this means I'm just starting out, that I haven't, grown at any point in my life that I haven't experienced any transformation I'm finally coming to this solution and hopefully in this year I'll solve it Uh, no no Um, many of us are coming to this after many years of work and and in re-engaging a process of growth and transformation Um, and when you've done that you know that it's not over that you go through that cycle over and over again and there's there's all sorts of grace in allowing yourself to know that rather than putting yourself, the pressure on yourself to so, sort of knock it out in a year. So I'm glad that we are all uh, resonating with that idea. Amy writes, doing is the enemy of being. I'm trying to embrace this these days. Amy, uh, that's that's the, out of these first few weeks, it sounds like that's the one that's, that's sort of stuck out to you. And I think that, you know, that was that was that week one um but it really it set the tone for these first six weeks um, because that really is the theme across all six weeks is that doing is the enemy of becoming doing is the enemy of being and we have to cultivate cultivate the capacity to just be with ourselves to not be doing something all the time because an inward journey requires being uh, not doing and so that that really is the theme of these first six weeks Ooh, Deb writes, that's a great idea, Brenda. I'm going to try that too. Yeah, write it on the family whiteboard. Holy cow, what a fantastic idea. Deb, thanks for, for highlighting that as a practice and um, suggesting that it might be, might be useful for all of us. Can you imagine the permission in homes across the world if those questions were written up? Just the per, it's the permission just by asking those questions and knowing that they're okay to ask within a family. It's permission to be who you are right? Um, (laughs) Is you're inviting your kids to say, well, this is who I am, but I'm trying to get loved by you. And so I'm being this other thing instead, because I think that's what you want, right? And then we get to to engage that question and assure them that they are beloved and worthy, uh, regardless of whether or not they become the person that we want them to be. Uh, And that we are gradually going through that process of of removing the conditions of our love and affection for them. Um, What a beautiful thing to be openly discussing within a family. Deb W writes, Yep, shame is a killer of joy, and it shows up whenever it can, and for me, it makes me want to stay small. Absolutely. Deb. That you know, there are there are a number of red flags that shame is, is sort of steering the car. One of them is wanting to stay small. Um, and in that family of things is feeling sort of apologetic for your existence. Um feeling like you don't have the right to have a voice, uh, that, that sort of cluster of experiences is a sure sign that shame is up to something. Um, I also often say there are two words you can look for, should and supposed to. I should have done that or I'm supposed to do that. Uh, not always, but be careful. <laughs> you know, supposed to, why? Oh, because that's the only way you'll be lovable and acceptable. Okay, let's start to question that a little bit. (laughs) Um, So watching out for those words is important too. Kim writes, I must say, something you said on a podcast about God being the space in us versus there being a God-shaped hole in us was profound and still resonates with me. Kim, thank you for that. Um, I think I've acknowledged that that was probably... (laughs) Kind of sharing that unformed thought was probably one of the riskier things I felt like I've done so far in the podcast. Um, and so it's been a huge affirmation for me to hear that it's one of the things that's resonated with people the most. Um, and I just have to, I just want to reiterate again, that it, it arises for me out of a faith that God is with us and is always with us. And if it feels like God is not with us, I have to start looking for another explanation. So in other words, if it feels like there's a God-shaped hole in me, now I have to ask the question, well, what is that? Uh, Because he's not absent from me. Um, And, oh, maybe that hole is (laughs) God. Let's start there. Julie writes, Kim, me too. I've returned to that a few times this week. Deb W writes, Kim, me three. I've thought about that a ton this past week and have been super comforted by it. Deb F writes, I'm finding, Kelly, that as I go on this journey, my circle of friends seems to be getting smaller. I am okay with this, as I'm weeding out some very unsupportive people. Deb F., that was a theme that started to arise last week, and I, as I said, I think that's a, it's, it's a natural thing to start to arise as we begin to embrace our worthiness, um, to start to wonder about relationships in, in which our worthiness is not being embraced by other people. Um, and so you are already beginning to to ease into that work of cultivating belonging which often involves uh, a shrinking of circles of belonging at first so um, good for you for doing that and having the courage to step into that already brenda writes have to should have ought to ought to, even need to are red flag words in my thought ticker tape i try to rewrite them into i am i desire i choose statements Brenda, that is an invaluable uh, reframe uh, and one that I want everybody to hear. Um, notice, notice phrases or thoughts in your head that include the, the, the words should have, have to, ought to, even need to, um, and then try to reframe those as I am, I desire, I choose. So, so good. I love it. I love the, the practices that you guys bring to this uh, and, and suggest yourselves. It's so good thanks again for this discussion, everybody. Uh, Truly, truly, the effort you're putting into this and your vulnerability about your effort um, is what it's making. It's making this podcast helpful to people. Um, Me uh, me here talking, you engaging, working on it, going after it, so helpful and so encouraging to so many people. So thank you. Um, and now let's, let's transition into to this week's uh, reading and practice. Again, I want to connect this piece of the companion book back to lovable. So for a little context, I'm going to read an excerpt from chapter 5 of lovable. And chapter 5 is entitled, You Are What's Underneath, You're Underneath. We're all pretty familiar with the first two layers of our humanity. The surface layer we present to the world and the just below the surface layer we hide from the world. The surface layer is the image we seek to project, and it's usually as flawless as we can possibly make it. The other layer, the underneath, is where we keep our not-so-pristine stuff, like fear, uncertainty, sadness, jealousy, confusion, anger, arrogance, and hopelessness. Usually the underneath is uncomfortable or disturbing, so we do our best to avoid it. We stay on the surface of ourselves because we don't want to know what other troubling realities may lurk within our depths. Consequently, we never get around to digging into our underneath, and we conclude there is darkness at the bottom of our humanity. Every once in a while, though, someone keeps digging, into the dark underneath and through the dark underneath, all the way to the center of themselves, and into the light. So for me, that excerpt sort of anchors this transition that we're making this week, that we created all the space for stillness, uh, we created all the space uh, for rest, and what we did essentially was create space uh, for what is inside of us to rise to the surface. And often what rises to the surface first is all of that darker stuff, all of that more unpleasant stuff. Um, and this is the point at which most people say, whoop, I'm done. I'm out. That doesn't look good. Uh, that doesn't feel good. Uh, chasing my worthiness and relationships and accomplishments wasn't terribly effective, but at least it wasn't this unpleasant. I'm going back to it. Um, And we want to be able to kind of equip ourselves to be at least steady, um, at least not running away in the midst of that part of the inward journey, at least able to attend to and stick with the inward journey as we begin to feel these things that might be a little uncomfortable. I'm not saying everybody will, but it often happens, and so we want to be prepared for it. So that's the idea. This week we're going to start to shift into how do I deal with uncomfortable feelings that arise within the space I've created so with that context let's get into this week's reading it's called week seven you aren't your thoughts you are the observer of your thoughts if it hadn't been so annoying it would have been hilarious the american psychological association practice organization or the apapo started a new listserv the problem was they didn't ask permission they just automatically added everyone in the organization to the list then several weeks later they sent out the first email A relatively innocuous informational correspondence, useful to some, spammy to others, and the listserv exploded. It started with a handful of people asking to be removed from the list. Then people who weren't annoyed by the original email got annoyed by the extra emails, and they began demanding to be removed as well. Next, people who had ignored the first round of complaints got angry at the exponential increase in messages, and they too replied to everyone, lambasting the whole community. My inbox was overflowing, even though the APAPO had only sent a single email. The problem wasn't the original email, it was the reaction to it. This is how our minds work too. We have an original thought or feeling, something like, I'm sad today, or that memory makes me want to cry. And it is rarely a problem in and of itself. Sadness happens, a relatively routine part of being alive. It is our slew of ensuing thoughts about that thought, that becomes the problem. I have no reason to feel sad, what's wrong with me? Quit being weak, oh no, I'm feeling worse, what if I get depressed again? I can't handle this right now, and I'll let everyone down if I'm not my usual happy-go-lucky self, and then no one will want to be around me, and I'll be alone, and so on. Or we might have this ordinary, relatively harmless initial thought, I'm scared. But then all our inner voices begin flooding our mental inbox with their reactions, I want to unsubscribe from this mind of mine, get me out of this head. Why can't I be brave? Why do bad things always happen to me? Am I being punished for something? Oh no, my heart is racing. Am I having a heart attack? Am I going crazy? Surely everybody can see I'm totally losing it. Or maybe your initial mental message reads a little more like mine typically does. I messed up. It's a relatively mundane statement of fact. You're human, imperfect, so you make mistakes. But then the reactive thoughts start filling up your mind. I made a mess so I am a mess. I never get it right. I'm never good enough. No wonder I always disappoint people. I'm worthless and who would ever want to be with me? And I'll never amount to anything and what's the point of this life if you're a nobody?" Somewhere in the midst of the APAPO debacle, my annoyance actually did give way to humor, as I watched us replicate in electronic form what our minds do in thought form every day. I chuckled to myself as I quietly unsubscribed from the list. Of course, You can't quietly unsubscribe from your mind. Around the time I unsubscribed from the APAPO listserv, I created a listserv situation of my own. I accidentally scheduled an untangled blog post for the wrong day. I awoke to discover the error, and my initial thought was, whoops, I messed up. But then the mental reaction began. You also sent out an artisan blog post this morning. People won't like having their inboxes jammed up by your words. They'll unsubscribe. And then the voice of my shame chimed in. When people unsubscribe from your email list they're unsubscribing from you why do you even bother to write at all as the morning wore on this stream of thoughts filled up my mental inbox making it difficult to get anything else done so i went down to the river literally i drove to the river that runs through our town and i watched the water flow past and i pictured my thoughts like that river flowing past me as i watched them i began to feel separate from them just as my body was sitting next to the river of water I knew myself was sitting outside the river of my thoughts, watching them, observing them. My thoughts weren't me. Within an hour, I could chuckle at the absurdity of my thought stream. In life, unlike a listserv, you can't unsubscribe from all the unwanted messages, experiences, thoughts, and feelings it sends you. What you can do is stop trying to unsubscribe from them. Instead, you can attend to them. You can watch them fill up your inbox. You can pay attention to them until you see them for what they are a little absurd, maybe even a little comical, but most definitely not you. Then, as you watch the flood of thought subside, you will be free to read the original message again, to deal with your ordinary humanity, with all of its sadness, anxiety, mess, and illness. Instead of being swept away by the flood of life, you will be free to drink it down, until you've tasted every last bit of it, the bitter, the sweet, and everything in between all right so that's the reading for this week Uh, there's quite a lot to unpack in there Uh, we could spend a year on this one practice (laughs) Um, so what are your reactions to this idea um and what can you know in terms of what we can learn um, from observing our internal events rather than reacting to them um, or becoming our reaction to them thoughts about that idea julie writes i know i used to have an easier time with this trying not to make it worse by comparing with previous julie Julie, that's a gift to all of us. Thank you for that. Uh, we, It can be frustrating, can it, to be like, wait, I was so much better at this before. Am I going backwards? Um, no, you're going forwards, um, but you're dealing with new situations. Um, you're, you're dealing with new challenges, new stresses. Um, and, and so you're going through a period of time where it's a little bit harder. And you're exactly right. Uh, try not to shame yourself. Sometimes shame takes the form of, I'm not as good as them. Now here, shame is wanting to take the form of, I'm not as good as I used to be. (laughs) And it's so good to catch that and observe it and not jump right into that thought stream. Andrea writes, I am guilty of letting my anxiety be my own worst enemy. Yep. Um, Anxiety, out of all of the various sort of thought streams, anxiety is the one that moves the fastest. The river of thought seems to flood more quickly. It uh, seems hard to contain it. Um, so so anxiety is a very common form of thought stream um, to, to wrestle with and to be frustrated with. So Andrea, you're not alone. I hope the practice uh, that we're going to suggest this week and going forward will help you start to to relate to that anxiety differently. Kim writes, Whoa, deep. Hitting deep in the soul, especially that last part. Something about drinking in our humanity. Ah, to embrace ourselves as we are. You know, um, there's a, there's a place in the Christian scriptures um, where Jesus says to his disciples, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And then one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, um, wrote a book. I think of that title. Um, and the challenge in that is to be willing to drink the full range of human experience rather than resisting it. And so often what happens is we have an initial thought or reaction to life that is a normal part of that full range of human experience, but the thought stream is triggered by wanting to resist that. Nope, I don't want that. I don't want to receive that first email. Get it out of here. Get it away from me. Um, And if we can begin to embrace that, that first initial response is just part of being human. It's not a fun part. It's not an easy part. It'll probably be one of our better teachers, as the harder parts of human experience are, are the things that teach us the most and we gain the most wisdom from, um, but uh, but it may not be easy. But if we can cannot resist it, um, then we'll discover that our thoughts don't speed up so quickly, uh, we don't have so many of them, and we can, can engage with it more peacefully. Deb F. writes, not reacting is a huge issue for me. I'm much better at letting thoughts be, but it is so easy to go down the rabbit hole of negativity and shame yeah rabbit hole is another great sort of visual metaphor for it um, that we it's like going down the rabbit hole. I'll share with you. I wasn't sure if I would would share this, but I think it's I think it it's a good way to situate where we're at and where we're going with this. Um, so midsummer, I did a podcast interview, um and I've been doing a lot of podcast interviews at this point, and uh, but this one was. Um, with a, a podcast that had a much bigger audience than I'd been talking to. And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself going into the interview, um, all that shame stirring up saying, you got to nail it, you know, so on and so forth. And I didn't nail it. And I hung up the phone and my first reaction was, man, you botched that. Uh, and my shame, again, that's an ordinary thought, man, you botched it. it wasn't your best interview. And my shame sort of piggybacks on that. That was your chance to to introduce lovable to a lot of people and you botched it you know so i mean it just it's the the thought stream started to pour in and i knew that my task at that point was not to try to make that go away but to begin to pay attention to the thought stream not identify with it but just pay attention to it until that voice of shame could quiet down long enough for me to hear a different voice within me the voice that i call grace right so 48 hours, 48 hours of just constantly shame thoughts um, telling me how much I'd messed up and how, how, you know, how badly I did and uh, all the ramifications of that mistake and so on and so forth. Um, And I'm, and I'm, I'm listening. I'm not jumping into the thought stream. I'm watching. And then a little more than two days later, I'm on a bike ride, same process. And I can just feel the shame quieting down a little bit. And, and, uh, and then I heard the voice of grace. And the voice of grace said, it's hard to learn on a big stage, Kelly, but I'm proud of you for getting up there. And it was exactly what I needed to hear. It didn't say, oh, you did great. Or, oh, no one will notice that, you know, you weren't your normal self up there. Or, you know, no one will notice that you're trying too hard. Or it just said, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, basically it wasn't your best interview. It's really hard. That's hard. It's hard to learn how to be yourself up on a big stage. Uh, But I'm proud of you for getting up there. It redirected me to the courage it took to get up there um, and to the courage it's going to take to keep doing that. Um, And so that's that's really where we're headed with all this. We get still. Unpleasant thoughts arise. The most unpleasant of those thoughts and feelings is shame. We learn how to pay attention to that shame rather than getting swept away, away in it and feeling like it's true and we begin to observe it and question it and it begins to slow down just long enough for us to begin to hear a different voice within us the voice of grace that's where all of this is headed Um, and and so today is one step one one tool that we're going to use on the way to that sonny writes it is what it is and not what i want or thought about it (laughs) working for quite a long time to respond in love versus reaction out of fear to others and myself absolutely um you know love is probably the opposite of reactivity right love is okay this thing within me I can I can this thing within me this thing in front of me I can embrace I can be present to it I can make space even for it Um, absolutely Sonny and, and good for you for for being on that journey Deb W writes the river analogy is good my thoughts feel like a raging river sometimes and I fight to make the river slow down impossible I know exactly Deb thank you Deb W Exactly, our natural reaction is to try to make the river slow down, to stop the river. Um, and if anybody's ever, <laughs> you know, my kids, you know, they they come to a creek and they try to dam the creek, right? And what happens? Water just flows out further around it, it creates more of a mess. Um, we can't dam up the river of our thoughts. We can we can uh, step out of the thought stream, dry ourselves off on the bank, watch watch what's going past and gradually we'll begin to discover that we're inhabiting a different part of ourselves entirely. And that's what we're going to focus on in this week's practice. Deb W. writes, a little absurd, maybe even a little comical, but most definitely not you. Love the idea of seeing the humor behind the ridiculousness. You know, Deb W., one of the hallmarks of people who have learned to step out of their thought stream and to recognize that the thoughts are not who they are, that they have a self that is observing the thoughts, almost invariably, there are people with great joy um, who laugh a lot and don't take things quite so seriously. Um, And I'm a serious guy, (laughs) which means I really need this practice. Um, And when I do intentionally engage in this practice, I discover myself becoming more lighthearted, and my soul is less burdened, Uh, And I can free just to be more me um, and more joyful. So um, I do think that that's the natural sort of result of practicing this way. Deb writes, humor is what is helping me get out of my head and into my heart when it comes to being human. I love to laugh and don't do it enough. Deb, when I uh, am feeling um, sort of most in in the grip of shame, Watching some good stand-up comedy or a good funny movie can help me disconnect from that better than anything. Um, I think there's something really valuable about humor and um, stepping into a space where we're not taking ourselves so seriously. Kim writes, It's hard to learn on a big stage, Kelly, but I'm proud of you for getting up there. Ah, so much grace in that. So much love. So tender. I applaud you pausing and attuning your ears to hear that. I don't know how else to do life. (laughs) <laughs> Kim, uh, uh, I tried to do it a lot of other ways um, and I tried to, to coach people to do it a lot of other ways I tried to help people heal and, and be transformed in a lot of other ways and they were all just frustrating burdensome tasks um, until I realized there was a voice in me and a voice in each of us that was healing and, and that the, that all I needed to do was to help people learn how to be still to endure these early phases of unpleasantness that comes up, of shame that comes up when we're still, um, and then reconnect with that voice of grace within us. Um, so, I uh, just pass, passing along my um, what I've learned. <laughs> Karen writes, "I've had to ask myself sometimes why it's a lot easier to speak words of grace to others than to myself, and then I learned to cut cut myself some slack." Yeah, it it is. It's far more natural. To be able to you know to speak words of grace to others um and i think that's because and this is where we get back into the spirituality component of things we aren't speaking words of grace to ourselves um we are we are as well receiving words of grace from the voice of grace within us and um and there's a, P, a part in lovable where i talk about that that um that when you hear the voice of grace within you initially the, the reaction is like too good to be true. That can't be true. I, I'm, I'm not that worthy. I'm not that lovable. Um, surely worthiness requires something of me. Um, and, and that's how you know you're hearing a voice that is not just you sort of telling yourself what you want to hear. Uh, because you would never say that to yourself. You don't believe it. It's too good to be true at first. And the practice is simply learning to, to continue to listen to that voice until that becomes the truth about you rather than the shame you've been listening to your whole life. So again, this is a great discussion, uh, and and so I I just want to focus it a little bit more um, by reading this week's practice and talking about the challenge or the task uh, for this week. So here we go. Week 7 practice. We are now seven weeks into these months of listening. First we slowed down and simplified. Then we began to face who we've become in order to be loved. Now we enter the most difficult weeks of listening which will include attending to the pain and shame that arise when we get still and seek to unbecome who we are not. Eventually, we will begin to listen for the voice of grace within us, but first, we must attend to the clamoring of our pain until eventually it quiets down. In other words, getting getting mentally still is even more complicated than, than getting physically still. Once we have achieved some physical stillness and have attempted some mental stillness, we will become more aware than ever of the ceaseless activity of our mind. This is okay, not a problem at all. Rather, the real problem is ironically our attempts to stop our thoughts and suppress our pain, which just creates more thoughts and more pain. Instead, spend this week observing your thoughts. Visualize them as a river, constantly flowing. Let them flow past and watch them. In the same way that when you sit beside a river and watch the water flow past, You know you are not the river itself but rather the observer of the river begin to become aware that you are not your thoughts but rather the observer of your thoughts in other words a thought cannot watch itself something else must be doing the watching something bigger than thinking something wiser than thinking something more peaceful than thinking this something is your soul your truest self when you practice watching your thoughts you are practicing inhabiting your soul The experience of this can and will eventually change everything about your life, while not really changing anything at all. This is the promise of our pain. To relate to it properly, you must learn how to observe it. And as you learn to observe it, you begin, for the first time, to fully inhabit the soul within you that is doing the observing. This week, begin to inhabit your soul once again. Welcome home. Yeah, Uh, just a little bit going on there. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I want to encourage you that that last phrase welcome home is is a goal not an expectation that uh, this process can be really hard uh, it can be really hard to, to begin to practice this and settle into it and learn how to do it it, it may not feel like coming home right away um, that's where we want to end up as home, but the journey might be sort of long and arduous to get there. So don't put the pressure on yourself in one week um, to have that experience of arriving home within yourself. Um, it might take a little while. Deb F writes, "Practice watching our thoughts." That's going on the whiteboard this week. Great idea again, Brenda. Yeah, yeah, I love it too. Whiteboard for the whole family. Practice watching your thoughts. Practice watching the river. Sit beside the river. Um, don't don't wade into it and get caught up in it and if you do remember it may carry you the river may carry you a mile downstream but that's then you can get out and sit on the bank there um, and try to stay on the bank as long as you can And then when you discover that the thought stream has carried you away again swim to shore sit again watch for as long as you can um, that's the process that, that that's the process over time is spending as much time on the bank and as little time in the water as we can Julie writes, home also sounds like, as with much else, a catching of glimpses and coming and going. Is there a permanent arrival, your thoughts? Yeah, Julie, I think maybe I was just starting to get at that, Um, that um, we can feel at home, solidly inhabiting our soul, watching our our thought stream go by, Um, and then I think there is an inevitable rhythm to that, because it requires an awful lot of intentionality. Um, and it'll become more and more of a habit, but while it is, we will naturally get get pulled back into the water, discover, like you might discover a a minute or an hour or a week or a month down the road, like, oh my gosh, I haven't, I haven't observed my thoughts in a month. I've been swept up in them for a month. Um, I think part of what I've been dealing with this fall is that I was swept up in them for the majority of the time for many months, um. And so I think the longer you're swept up in them, the longer it takes to sort of um, find your way back to the bank and to begin to feel like that bank is home for you. Um, but but that's the rhythm. That's the ongoing rhythm. And so, and so thanks for pointing that out, that we don't have to think of this, again, as a one-and-done sort of experience. Kim writes, But oh, does that sound like a beautiful hope, to arrive at home within me, and that to have that space of grace to be the air that I breathe in my home. Yeah, oh, I love that. Love that imagery, Kim, that grace is the air you breathe at home within the soul inside of you. Hmm, that's good stuff. Thanks for adding that. Lovable at one point in the process was originally entitled home, and the sections were entitled um, at home within yourself, um, at home within your relationships, and at home within the world. Um, and so that that uh, welcome home imagery is left over from, from those days of writing lovable very early on deb w wrote love the idea that a thought cannot watch itself something else must be doing the watching oh man that that idea if it can become a tangible lived experience in our lives can truly be the game changer for i think for most of us if not all of us Um, that the thing doing the watching is me We, most of, so much of our suffering arises from our identification with our thoughts, that our thoughts are who we are. And as soon as we begin to discover that we're not that, there's all sorts of freedom in it. So, uh, Deb, thanks for highlighting that here at the end. Um, As I talked about in the blog post today, when we are sitting on the bank and the thoughts have died down and we are simply watching our ordinary lives, um, part of that sense of gratitude is a sense of the gratitude of being at home within ourselves and that that can actually happen, um, and that that nothing else has to happen around us to give us a sense of peace or joy. Um, So I hope that that we practice this week and that that experience begins to grow within us and it gives rise to some gratitude as well. All right, uh, so let's go ahead and and wrap up this week's discussion right there. So much fun, so much good stuff in here. So grateful for all of you. Um, These discussions just keep getting better and better. Um, And that's because of you. So thanks so much. Um, Next time, we'll check back in um, regarding this exercise. And then we'll get into week eight of the year of listening, loving and living. It's entitled The Small Gate and Narrow Road Back to Your Truest Self. Uh, We're going to talk about how to move toward our pain rather than away from it. Uh, Sounds like fun, huh? (laughs) Um, Actually, it might not be all fun and games, of course. uh, But truly, the joy waiting for you on the other side of your pain will be worth every single bit of it until then watch your thoughts and remember you are the soul doing the watching thanks again for joining us on the lovable podcast remember this companion book can stand on its own but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of lovable so if you have not picked up a copy of lovable yet it is available wherever books are sold and you can get it in paperback digital or audio format if you'd like to simply download a sample of lovable you can go to my website drkellyflanagan.com that's drkellyflanagan.com in the right sidebar sign up to receive my blog post by email and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto the music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road until next week friends, remember you are lovable